don't piss off the crows <laughs> because they will always remember you. They've done like these studies where like the scientists would go out and like they'd wear masks. Like there was one that was hilarious. Like I think they wore like a Dick Cheney mask and then they would like yell at the crows or throw stuff at them to see what would happen. And they would remember and they'd remember, oh yeah, Dick Cheney, he's a bad dude. And so they would come and like, you know, attack or <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> everybody, and welcome back to Miss Shelved, your bi-weekly dose of bookstore love. I'm your host, Nicole Brinkley, here with an episode I am very excited about. Not only do we have a New York Times bestselling author, but we have a bookseller who I have admired for a good long time now. For those of you who are new to the podcast, welcome. Every two weeks, I introduce you to an independent bookseller in conversation with an author they love. This week's indie bookseller is Candace Huber. Hi, my name is Candace Huber, and I am the owner of Tubby & Coo's Mid-City Bookshop in New Orleans. Candace is in conversation with the wonderful Rebecca Roanhorse. Hi, my name is Rebecca Roanhorse, and I am a writer of science fiction and fantasy. Settle in as these two talk about a lot of things. Their mutual love of sci-fi fantasy, how they got into reading, but most importantly, vampires. Okay, we're left completely unattended now, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Party! Yes. Except we're old. At least I'm old, so I don't really party. But <laughs> I don't really party either. And you know, it's Mardi Gras here in New Orleans right now. So everyone is partying oh except me. <laughs> I bet it is nuts there. I can't even imagine. Like, it's got to be... I haven't gone out, so I don't know, but I've seen pictures and it, it seems, you know, it's the, our first one in so long. Mm. And so I think people are just so excited to be doing a thing. <laughs> I know. I went to New Orleans before Hurricane Katrina, like the year before. Mm -hmm. I haven't been back since. And I just, you know, I'm always thinking of um, your city and, and what it must be like now and how much it's changed. But it was Certainly an amazing place. The best food I have ever eaten in the entire world. And I spent like a month in Italy and it does not come close to New Orleans. I am telling you. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh my gosh. I was like, I'm going to gain 30 pounds and I do not care because it is worth it. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, well, I know that we wanted to talk about maybe some of our childhood fun media and what it looks like today. And I'm oh, really curious fun. as to what your favorite childhood stuff was, book, oh, movie, whatever. Yeah. So I was a big reader, uh, science fiction and fantasy from the beginning, probably more fantasy. Although Dune was a big part of my life, especially when the movie came out and everything. I'm not even going to lie. Uh, I think I skipped school with my friend Nancy uh, we went to go see it at like the art house theater and I was just like blown away. So like 
I know a lot of people don't like the David Lynch version, but but to me, it holds a special place in my heart. And not just because Sting wore a little metal like bathing suit thing, and I was a huge <laughs> police fan, but because it was awesome. Uh, but anyway, so Dune, clearly, uh, gosh, I read stuff like the Belgariad, which I always say, I didn't read Tolkien. I read like the Tolkien knockoff. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love the Dragonlance Chronicles. I was madly in love with Raceland. He's like my first book boyfriend. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, the Dragonlance Chronicles, Raceland was this like little goth dude who was like, wanted to become a god to like get back at everybody who had ever done him wrong. And I was like, now that's hot. <laughs> so <laughs> I loved him. So he, he meets a sad fate, I guess. But, uh, but along the way, like his trials and tribulations were awesome. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I think those, those were my sort of big early influences in the genre. What about you? That's awesome. You know, fun fact, I actually didn't start reading science fiction and fantasy until I was much older. I did not read it as a kid. And that surprises a lot of people (laughs) because of my life now. But I didn't really read it when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I was super into Mary Higgins Clark. (laughs) For those of you who don't know Mary Higgins Clark, she writes mysteries and they are very like formulaic regular mysteries but I was super into it when I was a kid I read every single one I only had money for used books and so Mm. that is what was in used bookstores uh at least in the area where I was and so that's what I read and so every time I could get one for 50 cents or whatever I was so excited and (laughs) what's cool about that is that I mean she I still have a whole bookshelf of Mary Higgins Clark books to this day And I got to meet her at Book Expo America a few years ago. And that was just so cool because I got to tell her that, you know, she like kept me alive. I had a rough childhood and reading Mm -hmm. her books just, you know, helped me so much. And so that was really a really cool moment for me was to actually get to tell her that so that my childhood books were all mary higgins clark <laughs> mysteries <laughs> awesome. and <laughs> and believe it or not ken follett which i may or may not should have been reading as a child but yeah. my mom did not believe in taking books away from me and so i read pretty much whatever i want and yeah. so weirdly ken follett and mary higgins clark were, were what i read <laughs> What about movies and TV shows? Did you have childhood faves? I do. This is going to give my age away, I guess. But my favorite childhood movie was The NeverEnding Story, Mm. which for those of you who don't know, that's like a 1980s, like Jim Henson puppets. And it was a fantasy movie. And it was about a boy named Bastion who is bullied severely in school. And he is running away from his bullies and escapes into a magical bookshop. And the owner of the bookshop gives him a book to literally escape into. And he does. And I, for many reasons, still love this movie. And it holds up better than you would think, considering it's an 80s movie. (laughs) The puppets are amazing. Like Jim Henson just could do no wrong with puppets. What about you? Oh, gosh. Okay, I'm old as like 
the hills. So <laughs> this will totally give away my age. But I think my seminal childhood movie was The Lost Boys. Oh, and yes. <laughs> for those who don't know, it's a vampire movie with like Kiefer Sutherland and uh, Jason, whose name I can't remember now. He was a big actor at the time. The two Corys, Corey Haim, Corey Feldman. <laughs> and I don't know, it's kind of like sexy vampires on a California beach town. And I remember we came to New Mexico. Uh, I grew up in Texas, but like I, I spent a lot of time in New Mexico with friends and relatives and stuff. And they were showing it at an Albuquerque theater and it, it had just come out. I was with my mom and I was like, we have to go see it. And my mom was like, it's some weird kid vampire horror thing. I'm not going to see this. And I was like, no, you don't understand. I have to see it. And so I did convince her to go. Uh, I don't know what she thought about it overall, but I did buy a huge poster and that like went on my wall at home right next to my Smith's poster. I was also kind of obsessed with like the Smith's and the cure. And I did watch it recently and I feel like it holds up great. (laughs) Amazing. Kiefer Sutherland is so hot in the Lost Boys and uh, Jason Patrick, I think was the guy's name. And oh my gosh, yes, that's a good one. (laughs) Vampires. Maybe we should talk about vampires. Oh, well, you are (laughs) in New Orleans. That would make sense. It's true. And we are such a supernatural city in so many ways. And vampires are so big here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, many people believe that they're real here, which I would not be surprised if vampires were real in New Orleans. Uh, but yeah, vampire stuff has changed so much, but also also remain the same. Yeah. It's so absolutely. funny how it's it endures. Enduring. Yeah, exactly. So who are your favorite vampires in fiction? Oh, this is a really good question. My favorite vampires. I would really have to think about it in books. I, I don't read a ton of vampire books, really. I, of course, read Interview with a Vampire because everyone who lives in New Orleans has read Anne Rice. Yeah, required, I believe. (laughs) uh, Yeah, absolutely it is. But I wouldn't say those are my favorite. I actually Mm. didn't like them that much. (laughs) (laughs) The vampires in Interview with the Vampire. I found them, I don't know, I guess because I was fairly young when I read them, I didn't really identify with them at all. And the vampires that I like, even though they are millions of years old, I identify with them. I actually really love the vampires in Octavia Butler's Fledgling. I don't know if you or anyone listening has read it. It is her one and only vampire novel. (laughs) And it is so interesting and creepy. And the main character is a vampire who has amnesia And the story is her kind of finding out what happened to her and her clan. And it is just, it's so good. So I would say I love that vampire and I love the lost boys and vampires in movies. I love really silly vampire movies. Uh So like Leslie Nielsen, (laughs) the vampire, Uh, that kind of stuff is is the kind of stuff that I normally like when it comes to vampires. <laughs> I vaguely remember there was a Nicolas Cage vampire movie. 
Wow. Oh, yeah. I remember that where he gets seduced by like a beautiful woman or something and she's a vampire. I seem to remember liking that like back in the day, but now I can't remember any details. So so don't hold me to it. If it's terrible or like <laughs> completely like offensive, I'm just going to be like, sorry, I was like 10. I don't know. But um, I think my favorite fictional vampire, and I'm just, again, I'm just a sucker for a certain type of like book boyfriend, but uh, I love Jean-Claude in the Anita Blake Vampire Hunter series. Ooh, yes. And so if you guys have not read that one, oh, okay. So it's got like 30, I don't even know how many are in that series now, 20, 30, it's got a ton. And this sort of was a seminal series in the 90s, urban fantasy. Uh, and it follows the main character, Anita Blake. She is a vampire hunter. Uh, and I guess it has sort of a, a Buffy sort of feel, but but she's an adult. She's not a teenager. And the vampires have these complicated courts and, you know, they're kind of like royalty and they have like lieges, you know, like masters that they're attached to. Anyway, the point is there's this vampire Jean-Claude and you see him sort of come up through the ranks like it's very interesting in the first book he's sort of a nobody but he's very manipulative and he's very sneaky and like hot (laughs) of course uh and so he and anita like you know sort of create this relationship and he comes up to the ranks until he's a super powerful vampire because he kills everybody else with anita's help and i just loved those i thought those were so cool i remember i discovered my very first anita blake vampire hunter book like i was coming home from college and I was in an airport bookstore somewhere. And I was just looking through books, like trying to find something to read on the plane. And I pick up this book. Uh, and on the back, it says, who will Anita choose? Will she choose her vampire lover or her werewolf lover? And I was like, I don't know, but I'm about to find out. <laughs> I was so excited. Like I'd never seen a book like that. And so that was like, I know now like shifter books and all that stuff is like pretty common, but this was like 20 years ago. And it was the first time I had seen that and thought to myself, hey, they let you write this. You can write this stuff and like get it published and then like have it on the shelf at the airport and people read it. That's awesome. (laughs) And so from there, I was just like a a lover of urban fantasy. Uh, And so I went through a whole urban fantasy phase, which actually led to me writing my first book, which was essentially an urban fantasy. Amazing. Was that yeah. Trail of Lightning? Your, yes. Your first one, right? Ah, yes. so good. Thank you. <laughs> it's, a, well, it's just, it's all, you know, so they didn't really market it as urban fantasy because urban fantasy is dead, quote unquote. But clearly that's <laughs> what it is. And I was yeah. like, you know, instead of having like European monsters, I want monsters and gods and, and you know, all of that stuff uh, from the Americas, you know, and I had indigenous monsters and gods. And, and that was really my motivation though. Blame Anita Blake. That's amazing. I love that. That was your sort of your inspiration that, hey, I can write this kind of stuff and yeah. somebody will read it. And that's awesome. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I appreciate Anita Blake for that. <laughs> I I also love that series. It. It's oh, very good. good. Yeah, <laughs> it gets a little wonky. I'd say after like the tenth book, but you know, you no, know, I don't think I've read that far in it. Oh, but then it- yeah, <laughs> you know, I also really love Jewel Gomez, the Gilda stories. Oh. That is a really cool vampire as well. She runs away from actually a Louisiana plantation Mm -hmm. and the novel follows her. She's 
an immortal vampire through like 200 years of her life. And so she runs away from a plantation and then she goes to a brothel and it's run by a vampire and then she gets transformed into a vampire and then she takes Gilda's name and then you know goes on her own journey it's it's very good that one is a little bit old school as well you know it was a queer book that I found as a young baby queer and I I think that that is another reason why it, it influenced me it was like oh vampires and queer stuff yes (laughs) things can go together yes they belong together and speaking of new orleans and queer vampires i forgot one of my early books also was poppy z bright lost souls right which was just so visceral and just um, blew me away again another book i'd never read anything like it and for those who don't know Poppy Z. Bright is, uh, I believe they are from New Orleans. Is that correct? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And and the the book is certainly set there and it follows this little goth kid named nothing as he like finds his destiny with a rock band (laughs) made full of (laughs) vampires. And it was just, you know, as a teenager, I was like, this is it. This is the life. This is is everything I ever wanted. (laughs) Absolutely. Because they like wander around. They're all outcasts and they just are wandering around. (laughs) I think chaos, like partying, drugs, hookups, like all that stuff. I was like, oh, look at this world. It's so shiny. Uh, But anyway, yeah, very cool. That was like a 90s cult favorite, I think, that book, at least here in New Orleans. I don't know if it was anywhere else, but... It was definitely like the occult favorite of the 90s when I was developing. And Gods, too. I know you brought up Gods. And Gods is something that really interests me. Ooh. And I assume interests you since you have a lot of them throughout really all of your th- things Obsessed. that I've read. Yeah. <laughs> and so they've always interested me because not just like mythological gods but there are also there's just so many of them Mm. out there and so there's like all these different stories that you can tell and I love just how everyone now has like different takes on different gods and I don't know it's fascinating to me yeah well and actually I was a religious studies major so I did I went to catholic school for the first eight years of my life although I am not catholic but I feel like I'm like you know like honorary catholic because that that was a lot (laughs) Uh, and then I studied religious studies at Yale as an undergrad and then went on and did a master's degree in theology at Union Theological, which is part of Columbia University. And so I'm not ordained or anything. These were all sort of terminal secular degrees, but I find religion fascinating and I find faith and belief fascinating. And so, yes, you will see that my characters, uh, especially like, Serapio, who is a character in Black Sun. Oh my God. I am obsessed with his journey. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> because I really wanted to explore this idea of like faith and like what it what it means to be chosen or to feel like you were chosen by your God for like a certain role. Like so he's sort of a chosen one, but you know, the idea was to really trouble this concept of what it is to be a chosen one. And then what happens when you're not chosen anymore? You know, <laughs> what happens after that? They never tell you. 
And so that's really, you know, what I'm trying to do in the second book too, to spoil that just a little bit, but I don't, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler, but this sort of struggle with like faith and gods and, and, and all of this sort of stuff. It's all through my work. It always will be. Uh, I'm just obsessed with it. Yeah. And it's fascinating to me too. And I also, I, you know, live in New Orleans, so went to Catholic school all my mm-hmm. life <laughs> because, you know, here Catholic school is pretty much what most people do if you have right. the privilege and the money to do it. Mm-hmm. And so I went to Catholic school my my whole entire life. And I am not Catholic, but my family was very devout Catholic and so grew, grew up that way. So I've always been fascinated by mm-hmm. it as well. And I did some studies on world religions in college. I didn't major in it, but I took a lot of classes and did a lot of studies on it because I've also always just been fascinated by religion and gods and what makes people believe. And Mm -hmm. it's amazing to me how similar everything is sort of, (laughs) even even as different as it is, (laughs) it also is super similar in, you know, in all of that. So I just have always found belief and stuff really interesting. And I, Maybe that's why I love your books so much. Because... Oh, probably. <laughs> You're like, this kid went to Catholic school, I can tell. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, oh, Serapio, I, I understand you. <laughs> Except I really wish I could be friends with the crows in the way that Serapio <laughs> is right. without trying to give a lot away. Yeah. I, crows are amazing and I want to be friends with them. Yeah. And <laughs> this book, it was just like, I could see my like 90s goth child self, <laughs> like just loved this book because it was just so, I, I always say it all my book reviews and I know you see it all over Twitter. It's like, this is so metal because it's like, <laughs> ah, it's like all the crows and the, the gods. And anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to fanboy out (laughs) oh that's okay that's okay you know what it's so funny because when I wrote the book I was very sort of is this indulgent because these are the things I love too right like Mm -hmm. I was a little like goth kid and actually at the house I was living at when I started writing Black Sun I lived up on this mountain and this flock of crows would come they say not to call them a murder although I love calling them a murder of crows but I'll just call them a flock so like the crow people don't get mad at me um would come and they'd circle around and there was a house near us that was vacant and they would come and they would roost on that house and they would just love staying there. And then they'd come over, you know, across, we had an upstairs like balcony. They would just like, you know, talk to me all the time. And so like crows were just in my life. And I was like, Oh, what's the deal with the crows? And so I started doing like Corvid research uh, and just finding like all the fascinating things about them. Like, you know, the most important thing, of course, is they never forget a face. Not only do they not forget your face, but they tell their children and their children's children about you. What? Yeah. So don't piss off the crows (laughs) because they will always remember you. They've done like these studies where like the scientists would go out and like they'd wear masks. Like there was one that was hilarious. Like I think they wore like a Dick Cheney mask and then they would like yell at the crows or throw stuff at them to see what would happen. And they would remember and they'd remember, oh yeah, Dick Cheney, he's a bad dude. And so they would come and like, you know, attack or (laughs) anyway, (laughs) that was awesome. (laughs) And um, so they never forget a face. They pass it down like generationally. They are creatures of revenge, for sure. They hold funerals. They have like crow funerals. Like if a crow oh, dies, 
they'll all come and like check it out. And like, I try to figure out, I think why the crow died uh, so they can avoid, you know, dying themselves in the future. But often, you know, they'll sort of gather around and have like a little funeral. Um, oh gosh, I don't know. There's all these like really cool facts. And there's a wonderful book uh, called Gift of the Crows. And I can't remember who wrote it. I can barely see it on my bookshelf over there. Uh, but it just has all these like wonderful facts about Corvids. And that was actually part of the inspiration for the mythology in Black Sun was this idea of revenge. And like, so what is a crow? Like to me, the, the essence of it was this like long memory and like revenge. And so if I were going to create a society where like crows were um, the gods, you know, or like embodied their god, uh, then what would be the defining aspects of that culture? And it would be a culture focused on revenge. And out of that comes like the whole story. And for those who don't know, because I'm just assuming like, you know, my books. <laughs> um, uh, Black Sun is an epic fantasy inspired by the pre-Columbian cultures of the Americas, inspired by, not factually accurate. I took a lot of liberties. It is definitely a fantasy. There's giant crows you can ride, among other things and magic and blood and revenge and all sorts of fun stuff so it is yeah. very good and as the bookseller on this podcast <laughs> i'm gonna say <laughs> it is legitimately one of my favorite books ever and i tell people this Aww. and i'm like y'all everybody has to read this book and i'm i'm always throwing it at people because it really is like i love this book so much and um, the second one is just as good because I am a bookseller and I got to read an arc of it. I'm so excited oh, <laughs> that they sent it to me as soon as I saw it. I was like, I'm not doing any work <laughs> until I finish this book. <laughs> so yeah. from a bookseller perspective, I also believe you should read this book because it is very good. <laughs> so there are several animals, like big animals that you can ride mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. this world. And it reminded me of... Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh. And I was wondering if that had any, if you even cared about that show. <laughs> because I was like, this is, this seems very, like, they also have these big, weird animals that you can ride. Uh, and it was evoking that for me when I was reading it. Yeah, I love Avatar The Last Airbender. But I only came to it in the past couple of years. I watched it all with my daughter. Uh, she's now 14, but I think we watched it when she was like 11 or 12 or something. I feel like it was early COVID or pre-COVID where we just binged the whole series. So good. Such good storytelling. Really, really, really nice. But no, I don't think um, the little water buffalo, don't they like fly on a water buffalo? Yes. I, I am the worst. By the way, I'm the worst fan ever of anything, <laughs> any, any like Marvel, Star Wars. I write in those worlds. But if you ask me questions, I'll be like, uh, I don't know. I'll have to look that up. Like I just fan knowledge just goes right, right out my head. But anyway, so I believe they they ride a very cool water buffalo. <laughs> uh, and so, <laughs> no, most of my flying creatures are birds of some kind, avians, except for the winged serpent. There is a, a clan in Black Sun that rides winged serpents. And that was really me wanting to find that indigenous Mesoamerican creature to like sort of compete with the dragon. Like we're not putting any dragons in my story because this takes place in like Mesoamerica or a fake Mesoamerica. So what would be the equivalent? And I was like, well, winged serpents because they're so badass. So that's actually, there are those, there are 
eagles and crows and oh, and water striders, which is a bug because I love the idea of like these massive insects, people riding these massive insects through like waterways and stuff. Because you don't really get to see a lot of that. You always see kind of like sexy animals that, you know, you get to ride on. And I wasn't sure that a uh, water strider was that sexy, but I definitely wanted to put it in the book. (laughs) Oh, you make it sexy though. Oh, yay. (laughs) (laughs) That's so fascinating to me. The water strider is probably my favorite of all of them because it is just a giant bug, Mm -hmm. but it's also like so cool the way they can ride them in avatar it's sky bison yes sky bison uh appa is the yes appa i love love the sky bison Mm -hmm. (laughs) so much and speaking of which one thing that i think avatar the last airbender does really well is villain Mm. redemption Mm. oh yeah and you know, because uh, sorry if that's a spoiler alert. And I guess we didn't really say what Avatar The Last Airbender was. It is a cartoon TV show uh, from, I believe, the early 2000s on Nickelodeon. And it is so good. If you haven't watched it, you should definitely go watch it because it is great. There's a character on there named Zuko. Mm. And he is a firebender. They they can manipulate the elements in this show. And so he's a firebender. And the Fire Clan are the bad guys in in this story. And he has a really good, spoiler alert, villain redemption story. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is one thing. I love, love, love a good villain redemption story. And Zuko has one of the best ones, I think, that I've experienced. Yeah, absolutely. And they took their time with it. And it was nuanced. And, you know, it felt real. And he was not perfect. He made a lot of mistakes along his path to redemption. Um, yeah, absolute fave. Very, very cool. And and by far one of my favorite episodes. Uh, and again, I'm terrible with like fan stuff. So please don't beat me if I get things wrong. But it's the one where he and his sister and her friends, they all go to like a beach town or something. They're like yes. on vacation. Do you remember which yep. episode? Oh my god! Yeah, that is one of the best things I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Trying to see them like fit in and like hang out with the normal kids, and they are so yes. not normal. Oh, and it's awesome. <laughs> oh my goodness! Yes, I love that episode too. Yes. And the other thing I really love is when him and his girlfriend, who I forget her name on the show. They have a moment where they're like staring out at something and he says like, I hate everything. And she basically says me too. And it's, (laughs) oh my gosh, it is just, it is so perfect. I'm like, I love this so much. Cartoons seem to do villain redemption arcs really well. Mm. Like She-Ra also does it. Uh, They rebooted She-Ra because I did watch it as a kid as well. But the new She-Ra does it with Catra. I don't know if you watched it, but that's also a very good redemption arc, villain redemption arc too. Do you have any favorites in books? I'm trying to think of like, ooh, which villain redemption arcs in books do I like? But I really need to think about that I know. I would have to like go look at the bookshelf and be like, hmm. You know what? Again, speaking of like animation, did you see Arcane? recently came out on netflix okay it is really excellent it is an animation that came out it's 
inspired by a game. So my expectations were fairly low and I'm not familiar with the game. I don't play it, but the trailer to Arcane just looked awesome. So I watched it and it is so good. Like not only is the animation really good, but the writing is great. Like if you want to study like character development and like third episode twists, which is a very common thing. I also write for TV. So like you have three episodes till they tell you to capture your audience. If you don't have them by the third episode, they're out. So you really need to like end your third episode on like a banger. Uh, and wow, <laughs> did Arcane like deliver. It is just amazing. And then I was obsessed. The world building is great. And the villain in that, at the beginning, you're like, you know, who is this evil dude? Whatever. I don't care. But by the end, my heart was breaking. I was like, oh my God, I love you. Please don't die. I don't think that was a spoiler because I didn't say that he did die or not. I just didn't want him to die. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> oh, but it's so good. It's it's really, really good. I'm going to have to watch that. It's popped up as like recommended on my Netflix a bunch, mm. but I haven't actually watched it. So now that you say that, I am definitely going to have to go and watch it now because yeah. it sounds really good and it looks so interesting and it's sort of just been nebulously sitting there in my, my Netflix for a while. Give it at least three episodes. I guarantee you after episode three, you will watch the rest. So good. Nice. Okay. Yeah. I will definitely give it three episodes. I didn't know that that was like a rule in TV yes. writing, but now it makes so much sense. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Because the first episode very rarely hooks me. Yeah. Um, I have to give it two or three and then it's I'm either hooked or not. And so yeah. I think that is actually very accurate so like oh that makes sense (laughs) (laughs) oh goodness so what are you watching these days on tv let's see i currently am watching a spanish tv show uh, from like spain and europe and it is called money heist oh i watched money heist yeah it's so good right i have really been enjoying it i'm in season four the first season is a little bit longer and then all the other seasons are pretty short and I've been really enjoying it. It is very Spanish soap opera mm. in that it has a lot of happily ever after love stories that I did not expect to be happily ever <laughs> after because it is a heist where people die, you know, yes. like things are happening. Yes. And so I didn't think it was that kind of show. But when every single romance had a happily ever after, I was like, I love this so much. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a heist, so anything with a heist in it. And so that's why I started watching it. But then as it went along, like every episode sort of ends on a cliffhanger. And so you want to keep going and keep going. And then at the end, I was just like, wait a minute. As unrealistic as this is, all of them get happy endings very unrealistically. I'm here for this. <laughs> I've only watched the first season, but I remember watching the okay. first season. Most of it takes place inside like a bank and people have been kidnapped and it's tense over a period of X amount of hours. And I just kept thinking, can these people not keep it in their pants for like three days? I don't understand. But it's totally enjoyable. After you sort of get over that aspect of it, you're like, aren't you a little busy, you know, being shot at by the police? Is this really a hookup time? No. But uh, once you get past that, it's so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I would love to like keep talking, but I really think that we're out of time. 
unfortunately. Yeah. But I have had such a good time talking to you and I super appreciate your time because you are legitimately one of my favorite authors and I do love all of your books. I found you with Trail of Lightning. And then after I read Trail of Lightning, I went back and read some of your short stories that I found online, because at the time I couldn't find anything else. (laughs) And then uh, since then you've done, you've written so much. Now you write for TV and Trail of Lightning has a sequel. And now we have Black Sun and the sequel. Oh my gosh. Uh, And you write Star Wars books and like you've written so much and I've just been so excited to be a fan of yours. And so thank you so much for taking the time out to talk to me on this podcast today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And if people want to find my work, they can find it at RebeccaRoanhorse.com. Books, comics, maybe not the TV stuff, because most of that's top secret and coming in the coming year. And then I'm on uh, Instagram at Rebecca Roanhorse. And what about you, Candice? Where can people find you? Yes. So you can find my bookstore, Tubby and Coos, is online. It's just tubbyandcoos.com. Everyone asked me what that is, and Tubby and Coo were my grandparents. So oh. in case you were anyone was wondering, that's that's why my store is named Tubby and Coos, but it's T-U-B-B-Y-A-N-D-C-O-O-S.com. And also the same on all the social media is just at Tubby and Coos. And I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube pretty much anywhere and thank you for listening does anybody else want to read vampire romances now or is it just me who's gonna go on that binge just me that's all right i am totally fine with that (laughs) thank you all so much for listening and for candace and rebecca for taking the time with us today you know all the usual reminders subscribe wherever you get your podcasts rate us if you like us Subscribe to the newsletter, follow us on social media, all that fun stuff. We'll be back in another two weeks with another full episode. Until then, happy reading.